Hi, everybody. Uh, once again, we're coming to you with our Genesis podcast. Uh, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this is not about us. Okay. Hey, let's keep going. Uh, I am not going to give much of any of an introduction this time because I want to get right into this. So right away, Brad, if you could start this conversation off by letting God have his place uh, of highest honor, that would be appreciated. Absolutely. Yahweh, the podcast is going. Here we are, ready to share what's on our hearts, what's on our minds. But as always, it's not about us. We need you. We need you to come in here and influence what's in our minds, what's in our hearts. So will you take the seat, the seat of honor, and will you lead this study? We want you to still this show. We want you to still this podcast because it's not about us. It's about you. That's right. I'm excited. Here we go again. Genesis. Let's do this. God, amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes, God, take over. Uh, This is all yours. This is all your source material. I am not the author. So right away, uh, one of the cool things, I was really excited about coming here today because I had no idea that anything really great was going to come out of this one. I, I have to admit to you, a little backstory here. I've said it before. I started a, a Genesis study about two years ago. I got a brand new computer, kind of lost a bunch of old files, and just thought, well, great. I'll just start over fresh. And I started, decided to get into Genesis and go right through uh, that way. And I only started, the, the further and further in the Genesis I got, the deeper and deeper I started to search. So as I came across, as we started this podcast, I went back and started over and said, I'm going to really go deep this time. So I'm kind of going over my old notes in these next four verses, and I literally had like one comment for each verse. There was not much of anything that I found. And I'm thinking, okay, these next four verses are going to take me all of about 10 minutes to just kind of speed through and go on. And the more I started to study and the more I started to search, the more stuff came out. It was so exciting. I hope this doesn't go long, but it might. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go. We'll see. But I wanted to jump right in. What a blessing, though. You said you <laughs> lost old files, which yeah. made you start fresh over. Uh-huh. I don't know. That To me, that feels like a blessing because look at all the nuggets you're finding. It Yeah, it felt cool to me at the time. It just went, you know, hey, cool. Let's let's dig back again. Let's let's start over. And it, it actually felt fun. It yeah. didn't feel like I'd lost. It felt like, okay, you know, let's... Okay, that game's over. Let's start a new game and, and play this thing again. Well, now I'm excited. Let's do this thing. So first of all, I'm going to read you these four verses, and I might not get to all four of them today, but I'm going to try. Genesis 2, 5, 6, 7, and 8. No shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the earth. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. Then Yahweh Elohim formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
And Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So first off, um, as we said before, we have finished the summary of creation. Now we're going back. We're kind of adding to, uh, fleshing in some parts, uh, getting more detail about individual pieces of creation. So one of the first things that grabbed me here was that no shrub of field of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. Now Genesis 1.11 says, let the earth put forth when it's talking about uh, the plant life. Uh, God says in, in, in most other places, you know, let there be this and he created it and let there be this and he made it and so on and so forth but in genesis 1 11, uh, he says let the earth put forth grass herb yielding seed and fruit bearing tree after in its kind and it was so and it goes on in 12 and 13 and the earth brought forth grass herb yielding seed and tree bearing fruit after its kind and so this made me wonder uh initially has it already been created? Did God, when he created the earth, just put all of the seeds and everything ready for this in the earth at that time? And at this point, he's just saying, okay, now come forth. So it made me think of that, you know, and I, and I don't know. And, and another cool thing about this, I don't know that they have a lot of conclusions this time too, which I've said before, it's kind of exciting to me. It, it, you know, I'm just kind of throwing out their ideas that are just inflaming my brain right now just igniting a spark in me and as i've said before anyone feels like commenting please feel free to leave a comment send us an email anything Uh, we have gotten a few emails from people i want to let you know i do read them uh and and thank you for them but uh, i I need to get on with this sorry i don't want to get sidetracked i got so much to go on here now so i'm wondering is the seed already there and ready to go possibly because it doesn't say he made them at this time it just says let them come forth at this time so now i checked out the word rain i decided to go there just because uh in the next verse it says there went up a mist from the earth i wanted to see if there was a difference rain mist is there any distinction that i could pull out of both of those strong's concordance number 4305 english word rain what do you think the translation is rain it is that's it (laughs) which it was like i looked at that and went well that's kind of a dead end you know it didn't give me anything else the the definition is to rain and my first thought was oh great then my second thought was well no that's good we've got a one-to-one connection i've definitely got the right word here i you know I, i could at least come to that that is a beautiful way of looking at it i in my own studies silly me when i look at like strong's concordance and it basically is just the word I just go, oh, bummer. I was hoping for more truth. But <laughs> I, I know that feeling. But yeah. that is a beautiful way of looking at it. So then uh, I looked at the word picture surrounding it, and I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, mem tet resh. The word is matar that, uh, in, in Hebrew. And one of the word pictures that you can get is the water of Yeshua surrounds and I thought that was a beautiful picture of rain, the rain coming from heaven, the water of the word, Jesus, surrounding us, just totally, just totally 
raining, raining uh, down from heaven all over everything. It was the water of Yeshua surrounds us. Yeah, no, that is beautiful. But now something else I want to point out about that. It, and, that, and I've thought about this earlier and thought about bringing it up, but we were focused on the creation of God and God's hand and God's creation and, and his doing all of this and the wonderful things that we can see in, in what he was doing in our own spiritual lives and, and stuff. Uh, I've been focusing on, on God, but there's something to realize. Satan is a deceiver. He is not a creator. He can only take what God has created and twist it and manipulate it. In the very design of these word pictures, there is very often an alternate meaning, just as there is in anything. An army can be good or evil. It can be defending you and protecting the innocent. It can be demolishing and destroying and killing and raping and pillaging. Fire uh, can be warm and, and, and heating your food and heating your house and serve a good purpose. It can also be destructive and painful and, and life-threatening. Water can nourish. Water can also drown. Words can comfort. Words can also harm. Anything God created for good can be pulled out of its design and used for evil purposes. One of the other word pictures that you can see in rain is chaos from the first snake. Oh, and I saw that as Satan trying to imitate God and trying to bring his destruction. Rain can be a wonderful, nourishing thing. We need the rain for our fields and our crops. And, and, and it just, heck, it feels fun to play when you're a kid dancing out in the rain and being silly. But rain can also be a, a hurricane. It can be a storm. It can be life-threatening. It can be a flood uh, wiping you out. And we do need to understand that Satan takes what God has given us and manipulates it to his own ends. And poorly. <laughs> yes. But uh, so that's something I wanted you to see there, uh, that these often exist in these word pictures, and it's not wrong to look at that. I, I believe God exists at a time, knew what was going to happen, and put those in there as a warning, as a picture of, of that as well. So... Uh, I want to keep going. I've got a lot to cover. I'm trying to do this quickly without rushing it. It's very difficult. But now something cool jumped out at me here. And don't really have a conclusion with this. Just some, some really neat things that jumped out at me. Brad, when did it first rain on the earth? When did it first rain on the earth? Yeah. So I know at the beginning it did not rain. It actually came from the ground. So when did it first rain on the earth? Was it the flood? That's what most people that I have listened to have taught. But I don't believe that. And here's why. Or at least I'm beginning to suspect otherwise. What don't do you wanna... got? So here's most people. Genesis 7-4 is the first mention, is the next mention of the word rain. Uh, this first mention basically says it, it had Elohim, Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth. The first mention where it, there is rain coming is Genesis 7, 4. And it does not say, God is telling Noah it's going to rain. But he does not say in that verse that it will rain for the first time. He only says it is going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. 
So he's warning Noah of an immense rain, but he is not telling him it will rain for the first time. Yeah. Now, the reason I bring that up is because the more I got into this, things started to jump out at me. As a kid, I've always kind of read this verse as, okay, the, the plant life hadn't come up yet because it hadn't rained, and, and the Bible says, and there was not yet a man to till the earth. And then Genesis 2, 6 says, but there went up a mist from the earth, and it watered the whole face to the earth. Oh, so there, uh, you know, the mist happened, and then the plant life started coming up. That's how he watered everything, right? That That's makes sense? how I take it. But I want you to see something here. And, and that, I, and I do believe that. And, and the mist came up and, and things started, you know, it watered everything. Now, no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up for. Now that word for, we can change that to be because. Would you agree? Yeah. For Yahweh because. Elohim. So it's, he's saying, in other words, it's shorthand for these reasons, which I'm about to express, or in other words, we can say, because. So he's, he's listed an effect. Now he's going to list the cause. For Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man yet to till the earth. So there are two reasons. Now this blew my mind too. We're looking because I had consciously I had read this long time as a kid, and in my mind I'm kind of skimming past that man part, and I'm just thinking, when I was a kid, uh, there my I was at a a garden store, and there was a uh, a garden like wrapped up, ready to go. All you had to do was unroll it and water it, and flowers came up. I remember those. Yeah, and I asked my dad. I remember going, well, why don't you know, why aren't the flowers just sprouting up right now? And my dad said, because it needs water to activate it. So I always kind of saw this as, oh, that's what God's telling me here. Like the seeds were in place and ready, but water hadn't come, so it hadn't activated it yet. But then I thought, but what's this man tilling the earth? Do the plants require man to till the earth in order to grow? Because it says, the, the no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, no herb of the field had yet sprung up because there had been no rain and there was no man to till the earth. So he's saying, you needed both of these things for this to happen. And as I'm digging into this, I'm starting to realize there's a lot more to this than I'm thinking. So what's going on if the plant life hadn't shown up because there's no rain and no man then, then what's going on? Because we see man after God creates plants. So what, what is going on? I, this was confusing me. And I thank my wife. She helped me out and, and helped me understand exactly what was going on here with the wordplay. Specifically, no shrub of the field and no herb of the field. It specifies those had not yet sprung up yet. Now, I'm skipping ahead. I didn't mention this first, but Genesis 2, 9, man is put into the garden, and Yahweh says, and out of the earth made Yahweh Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the Garden of Eden, he specifies trees. Back here in Genesis 2, 5, he specifies shrubs and and herbs, and not only that, he specifies shrubs of the field and herbs of the field. So is God saying, 
that these hadn't come up yet because these are required for man to put some effort into it. These are shrubs and herbs of the field. Man has, it says here, he had not caused it to rain and there was not a man to till the earth. This is talking about man putting effort into farming. And when man is first created and put into the garden, he, there's no effort. He is given everything. He just walks around. He says, I'm hungry. That looks good. And he pulls a piece of fruit and he eats it. He does not have to grow anything. He does not have to crush the grain and turn it into bread. He just grabs and eats. So is that what this is saying? This is not talking about all plant life being created here. It's just saying specifically those things which man must cultivate and grow, they hadn't come up yet because uh, rain hadn't happened and there was no man to till the earth. And then on top of that, man is brought from the dust of the ground. Mm -hmm. So is he literally brought from the dust of the ground that he has yet to work? I mean, yeah, that's another way to think about it. I hadn't thought of that. That is, so you continue to blow my mind too. I love these <laughs> things. So there's no, I'm just, I'm just picturing an empty farm field right now and there's no one to work it. So God literally brings him out of that ground, out of the dust of that ground mm -hmm. and then says, okay, work the field. I don't know. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. You're, you're, and you're not wrong at all. How many times have I read that verse and I have neglected? You're right. I was thinking it's because there's no water falling from the sky yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I was too. And uh, I wasn't making the right connection here because it was confusing me a little bit. If this is all plants required rain and man to till the field, wait, how could that be? The plants came before man was created. It's not talking about all plant life. It's talking specifically about shrubs and herbs of the field. And now here's something else. And here's why I asked you, when did it rain? The requirement to get shrubs of the field, herbs of the field, the things we cultivate, was rain and a man to till the field. Is that not correct? Does it say right here? You are absolutely right. Cain and Abel go before God and they give their sacrifice. And it says, Abel was a shepherd and he gives of his lambs. Cain was a farmer and he gives of his crop. So we see he had a harvest we see he had a crop. Doesn't this say that they didn't come up because there was no rain and there was no man to till the earth? So if we have crops of the field, doesn't that mean rain existed at that time? And it makes perfect sense. And it's clarifying something about Noah and how he wasn't shocked by the fact that water was falling from the sky. Yeah. I, I'm beginning to wonder uh, if rain didn't happen for the first time with, with Noah. It just happened in such an immense way as to flood the entire earth. But we had received rain before that. Yeah, you're opening my eyes a little bit. <laughs>
that, yeah, I was just, oh, I was loving this as I was going. And there's so much more that I can't see right now because I know. And that's that's the cool thing. That's why I wanted to share with you listeners that my initial time, I came up with one small idea from this whole thing. It was just kind of like, ah, oh, I can't find anything else and moved on. I come back a couple years later and all of this is pouring out. Um, it's an amazing thing. Every time you read the scripture, always realize you don't have everything. Let's set a timer, come back in two more years. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> see what else you found. But now, now it uh, it goes on. I hope I'm not missing anything from that. I'm kind of going fast to try to get through everything because I want to connect all these four verses. Don't know if I'll be able to. Genesis 2.6, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the earth. This I found intriguing because mist came first. It specifies rain, God, Yahweh Elohim had not caused it to rain upon the earth, but there went up a mist from the earth. So the mist originates from the earth. Rain, if we, if we look at the picture of what's going on here, the, the, the picture that God's trying to show us, rain is of heavenly design. It comes from the air, it comes from the sky, it comes from the heavens, and it falls on us. It's the grace of God. It's, it's, we, we said before in the picture, the water of Yeshua surrounds is a word picture for rain. But mist came up from the earth, and it watered the whole face of the earth. Before rain came down, the mist from the earth watered the whole face of the earth. Is this a prophetic picture of the Spirit of God, the water of the Word coming out of man? Is this a picture of God saying he wants man to be his chosen vessel to water the whole earth? He wants his, it's his plan that his Spirit go through us first to cover the whole face of the earth before rain comes down? Yeah. The first water ever to hit the earth comes from the earth heaven is god's domain earth is man's what is this saying yeah so i i personally feel at this time that it's this is another prophetic picture that god wants to move through us he wants his spirit to indwell us and pour out of us and that's what should water the rest of the earth no yeah that's a beautiful image. Now, in the word mist, I looked it up. It's Strong's Concordance number 108, and it's pronounced aid, which I, I didn't <laughs> catch until this moment. Right. That is aid. Now, it could, because I'm looking at its spelling, and it's spelled E-D, mm-hmm. pronounced A-D-E, so I hadn't thought in my head of aid, A-I-D. Yeah. Just made that connection at this moment. But... Uh, the definition is fog, mist, or vapor. And I looked at the word picture, and this idea of God sending his spirit through us, the mist coming from us, and in the word picture that we get for mist, it's path of God or door to God. Nice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, this, this is cool. <laughs> we're, the, we're the path to God. Uh-huh. 
or at least that's what we should be doing. We should be it, it, again. Yes, you ag- agreed. It's his design. Uh, again, these can always have an alternate interpretation because of the fall and what you're right. Exactly. It's what we should be doing, not necessarily are doing. Okay. I, I don't know if I have a conclusion here or not, but you're also talking about how there can be the opposite. The deceiver is doing things, right? Mm-hmm. So you said uh, fog or vapor. Right. Fog, so, mist, or vapor. So if we're, if we're supposed to present the path to God uh-huh. and the deceiver is going to deceive us, well, when I think of fog, I think of confusion. I think of... Yeah. Uh, when I think of a vapor, I, th- I just get deception, confusion losing your way yeah no that's very good it is definitely a perversion of god's plan and that's another thing uh i am getting off track here and i don't want to go too far off because uh, i want to stay here but that is something else that uh occurred to me a while ago is when you recognize what sin satan is attacking you with you can use that knowledge to understand what god wants from you because God is placing a desire in your heart. God is calling to you in a certain way. Satan knows what that is, and he's trying to replace it. So if you know what sin is your greatest temptation, at least at that moment, you can identify what God yeah. really wants from you at that moment. Yeah, so, that's good. So anyway, yes, Satan is a deceiver. Satan is not a creator. He manipulates what God has created and tries to twist it for his own purposes. There, um, one other time that this word is used is in the word vapor in Job thirty six twenty seven. For he draws away the drops of water which distill rain from his vapor. And I just thought that was a nice, it, we had so much water in that image. And I thought the cool thing was this verse was saying, God distills rain from vapor. It's like yeah. the spirit comes from us and then he takes that and makes it rain uh, for everyone. I, I just love that image. And I'm seeing that we give a vapor, but he makes it rain. He, yeah. We give him little, he gives us much. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting. So now, and these and those two verses were the small ones. The next two are the heavy hitters. Genesis 2-7, and Yahweh Elohim formed man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. All creatures are created, including man. Everything is God's creation. The sun, the stars, the moon, uh, animals, uh, birds, fish, the plants, the the rocks, the trees, the the water, uh, the very atmosphere. All things are God's creation but only Adam receives the breath of life. Uh, I've I've told you before, I write comic books. I've written plays. Uh, Both my son and my scripts are my creations, but only one of them has my life in it, has my genetic code, has who I am. Man is special. Man is not just another thing created. We are elevated above the rest of creation for a reason. We are children of God. We have been made God. We have been made his sons and daughters. Don't ever forget that. But now, I find you said earlier, you're talking about God making us from the dust. And I thought, okay, yeah. 
He formed man from dust of the earth. So what is dust? So I looked that one up. Strong's Concordance number 6083, afar, afar. I'm not sure where the, the emphasis is. Afar, afar, I have no idea. The emphasis is first, I, I don't know in most of these words. Um, and it means the primary meaning is dust, which makes sense. But it goes on to say dust as powdered or gray. It can, hence, it can also mean clay, earth, mud, ashes, ground, mortar, powder, or rubbish. Hmm. And one of the, you know, it can mean earth. So you can literally say, and then Yahweh Elohim formed man of the earth of the earth. And I thought that was kind of interesting. No, yeah. really, didn't really go anywhere with that, but I thought it was kind of interesting. But that was just a little side note. Two things grabbed me right here. One, dust is defined as gray. God is black and white. God is absolute truth. He understands everything in perfection. Everything is absolutely perfectly his or it is separated from him. We are gray. Man is still looking through a glass darkly, trying to comprehend black and white, but not getting it completely, trying his best. And we also have a tendency to manipulate things to our own selfish purposes and change the meaning and make it confusing intentionally or unintentionally. We make things confusing. We live in gray trying to become black and white, trying to become white with the understanding of what black is, trying to become pure and perfect, but we're still gray as, as a part of this earth. That jumped out at me. The second thing that jumped out at me is we're rubbish. Rubbish. I know that's been in my head. I was wondering if you could say anything. Yeah. I saw when I, when I mentioned all those, I saw you nod. I know all the listeners saw you nod too. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> But, I hope uh, not. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> but yeah, what was the first thing that thought that you thought of when I said that? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. For some reason, I, I just had like a little British voice in my head go, "You're all rubbish." <laughs> I can't do accents, but I had a British accent in my head just go, "You're all rubbish," and I had to nod my head and say, "Yeah, you're not wrong." Yeah, I mean, he made us from rubbish. He made us from. I, I love that image is he took the worthless part. He took the dregs. He took the dust, the mud, the mortar, the rubbish, and he made man. And something um, someone said to me one time, God chose Abraham. He chose the, the Israelis. He chose the Hebrew nation, not because they were the best, but because they were the worst. Now, I don't mean this to sound anti-Semitic. I'm not attacking the Jews with this statement, but I get what he was trying to say, is he was saying God was not choosing them because they had impressed him so much that he had to put a, a crown on their head and call them wonderful. He chose Abraham because Abraham chose him. Abraham was obedient. But I saw this image in Saul and David. King Saul was the epitome of what man would choose as their leader. He was rugged, he was handsome, he was tall, he was strong. 
David was a ruddy lad. He was the youngest of his family, which meant he was last in line for anything. He was a tiny kid. He was a scrawny kid. And God said, that's my king. He chooses the heart of the person and he wants us to have, David was a man described as a man after God's own heart. He doesn't choose the biggest and the best because when anything goes right, he wants credit. He doesn't want us to mistakenly think we deserved it or we earned it. And I saw that in mankind. We're rubbish. He doesn't want us to think we deserve grace. He doesn't want us to think in any way that we're anything without him. This is a picture to to all of us. We need to understand how worthless we are to understand how loved we are. You you can't, you, you have to understand both and it's hard to do. We have to understand how simultaneously we're worthless and we're worth everything. And the awesomeness of God is that he's going to take us, the rubbish, the nothing, and he's going to squeeze us, and he's going to turn us into diamonds. Yes. Yeah. But we have to understand where we came from, and without him, without his hand on us, we're we're not going to become diamonds. We remain rubbish. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, this is pretty cool. The word picture here. Oh, we're just now getting to the cool stuff? Uh, well, it's all cool. It's all cool. I'm sorry. But, but this is another thing that's pretty cool. The word afar. Ayin, fe, resh. A possible interpretation here is he made us from the dust first to experience the word. I mean, think about that. We were not the first to be created, but we were the first to experience the word especially when you think of that as the word being Jesus. Everything else was just created, but we experience him. I love that picture. You look like you have sort of an amazed look in your eyes. Anything you want to share? Just a, just a thought that, pros, that just came into my head. God and Jesus standing there at creation, and he's creating all of us to experience his son. Because he so loves his son, I, I I don't. There's nothing major there. It's just just the image popped in my head. Just son, look, look what we're creating. Well, I love it. And now they get to experience you. They get to experience me. But they get to experience you. I don't know. I just that image just. No, I love that. Yeah, beautiful. Because love gives, love shares, and God is love. Jesus leads us to the Father. But yeah, that's a wonderful way of thinking about it. The Father God loving his son and saying, I'm doing this for you. But he's also doing it for us because he knows his son Oh yeah, loves us. Mm-hmm. And, and he loves us too. It's, it's all a, a circle of love that, that keeps going around. But, but yeah, you, you kind of, we have a tendency to think of that as God loved us so much that he sent his only son. It's really good to think, yeah, God also loved his son yeah. so much that he gave his son us. Which even then makes the sacrifice even more 
if you really, if you truly deeply love your son, yes, and I'm going to give him to you, knowing what he's going to have to go through, mm-hmm. that makes the sacrifice even more, uh, more important. Okay, now so then I got into breathed and breath, and these were kind of cool. Uh, I liked what they, I liked what they said here. Uh, first, I'll give you the the Strong's concordance for both breathed is. 5301 Nafak. And it looks in English like it should be pronounced Nafach, but uh, it's actually pronounced Nafak. And it means to puff, literally to inflate, to blow hard, to scatter, to kindle. Uh, but it can also mean to expire. Figurative, figuratively, it can mean to disesteem, to give up. To cause to lose or to cause to lose life, seething and snuff. Now, breath, Strong's Concordance number 5397, Nishama, that is the noun, a puff. So, breathed is to puff, breath is a puff. So, you could literally say, when he says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, you can literally say he puffed into his nostrils the puff of life. And it's a puff. In other words, a wind or an angry or vital breath. It can also mean divine inspiration or intellect. So again, I mentioned before, because we're going to get into this more and more, um, there are some negative connotations in all of this. There, you know, uh, in breathe, it means it can mean to disesteem, to cause to lose life. Uh, and breath can mean an angry breath. So we definitely see uh, a manipulation here on an evil side uh, for some of these things. But one of the things I came up with, breathed, the word picture uh, for nafak, nun, fe, uh, chet, I hope I'm saying that right, the word spoke life, which created a separation. And I like that he breathed, the word spoke life, and essentially separated man from the rest of his creation. And the word for breath, nun, shin, mem, he, one of the possible interpretations is, behold, life consumes water. Now we know that on a physical level, we require water. Life has to consume water. But I love that picture of, look, life needs to consume Jesus. Yeah. What time am I looking at right now? We are at about 40 minutes. Okay. But every time I ask, every single time, you always say, we're at about 40 minutes. I, I, I seriously, I'm starting to think it's not really, yeah, it's just your standard phrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, it's sometimes we're at like 37, sometimes we're at 42. <laughs> I am estimating a little bit. Oh, okay. Bit. All right. But, um, no, that's good. It means I'm, I'm starting to get a feel for this. Okay, this last one is the longest one. I'm going to go ahead and finish it here. I think I can get it in pretty good time. Genesis 2.8. And Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now this one, like I said before, when I first created all of these a couple years ago, I kind of put like one phrase, one line, one thought, and didn't really have anything else going on. And at that time, 
the only thing I could think of was why east? Why eastward? Because I always remember when I'm studying these, God does not have a single word out of place. Everything is by design. Everything he does, everything he said, everything has a perfect design to it and there's a reason. And it specifies eastward, which again, as I've said before, is why I try to get back to the original Hebrew as much as possible. So Eden is east of where Yahweh created Adam. What significance is that? And two years ago, I had that thought. I knew it had significance, but it had no answer. I just kind of went on. So now, growing up, I always had this image that the garden was created first because it says God made the plants first, then he made the animals, then he made man. And I always had this idea that Adam was most likely created in the garden. I don't know what you thought, Brad. I think we just are, we grow up with those images in our head that mm-hmm. he is being created in the garden. But this says that the garden was planted after Adam was created and then God put, put Adam there. Yeah. And if it's east of that creation uh-huh. spot, that means that Adam is to the west. So we have an east and west parallel here. Yeah. Adam was created to the west of the garden, and he moved him to the east. So I looked up eastward, because it says here, and Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward. And it's essentially east. It's the same. Any, any eastward, you know, east, they're the same word. Uh, in in uh, the Hebrew is the same word for both. So he planted a garden in the east. He planted a garden eastward. In the Hebrew, it's all the same. It's Strong's Concordance number 6924, and it can be pronounced one of two ways, Kedem or Kedma. Do you recognize those? Because we've heard them before. Kedem or Kedma? It's the same word. Oh, do you, wanna, do you have an idea? No, go for it. It's the same word that, we use, that was in Deuteronomy 3727, I'm sorry, 3327A, and it was in uh, my first podcast, uh, my first general Bible study podcast, and it's talk, and it's the eternal L is a dwelling place, eternal. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but we asked. It means the four, the four part, relatively the east, a four time ancient, and we talked about God being eternal, past, right, and talked about. Go to the east and start. Do you remember that whole conversation? Yes. This is where this is where my thoughts were going with this. It's the same word. God is saying he placed man east to say because man is a prophetic picture of God. In the creation of God, we see in the creation of God, we see God. He's telling us this is a prophetic picture that God has no beginning point. He's placing Adam in eternal, in eternity. Yeah. He's placing him in eternal past. Wow. The very same word for eternal is this word east. And he places man there to say, man is a representation of God, uh, a physical representation of a spiritual reality. He places him in eternity past. 
So he's, he's, he's prophetically showing a picture of eternal past. Very interesting. So this is, this is showing us God has no beginning. Uh, man, Adam, represents this fact. Now, another thing that jumped out at me here, the Garden of Eden. I always thought the garden's name was Eden. This made me realize it's not. The garden was planted in an area called Eden. He says, and Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward in Eden. The garden is just one location in Eden. So Eden is a much larger place. We just have a garden located there. And he puts man in that garden in, which is in Eden. So I looked up Eden. What does Eden mean? Well, first of all, it's not pronounced Eden. That's, it's pronounced Aden. Uh, Eden is an English transliteration because it is spelled. When it's spelled in English, it is E-D-E-N. But uh, to the Hebrew way of thinking, that's pronounced with an A, kind of like Spanish. Yeah. Uh, so it's Aden. And the Strong's Concordance is number 5731, Aden. Now, 5731 means the region of Adam's home, where he was placed, this location. But that location is taken. It's, it gets its name from 5730 uh, of the same spelling and same pronunciation, Aden, and it means pleasure, delicate delight. <laughs> so, God placed man in pleasure and delight. <laughs> wow. This was powerful to me because we tend to think of God as pleasureless to a large degree. We have a tendency to think of heaven as being peaceful and without strife, but also lifeless and boring. Yeah. Yeah, too many times we think of God the Father with this just very dry talk, and and, mm-hmm. and when they show him in media and whatnot, he's always, don't have any fun, don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This is because because of things like that, and also individuals throughout history and groups that represent God piously, prayerfully, solemnly. We're told you must give up pleasure if you are to follow God. You are, to, you are to give up sinful pleasures, but the pleasures that God has, we gotta realize are so much greater, so much more fulfilling. The sinful pleasures, the temporary sinful pleasures of this life are an illusion from Satan to get us off of the amazing reality that God has designed for us. As I said a little bit ago, whatever the enemy puts out there is a poor mm-hmm. imitation. Yep. What people fail to understand is the pleasures of God are so much greater than the pleasures attained from selfish disobedience. The physical pleasures God has given us on this earth are, like everything else we've talked about, physical representations of spiritual pleasures that will last for eternity. God wanted us placed in pleasure and delight. That's an amazing thing to me. Now, the word picture for Aden, or Eden, we'll say it both ways. Ayin, Dalet, and Nun. And one of the possible interpretations, the thing that jumped out at me, was 
experience for yourself the path of life. God placed us in Eden to experience for ourselves his path of life. Wow. Huh. Now, the word planted. God planted a garden. This is Strong's Concordance number 5193, and it's a Hebrew word, nata, and it means to strike in. In other words, to fix, specifically to plant, either literally or figuratively. Now, at first it confused me, and this is because of my English way of thinking. I thought, in other words, to fix, and I thought, to repair? You know, to, to make complete? What, what's he talking about here? And uh, again, thank you to my wife. She had to explain to me uh, and my and a friend, Cooney. Uh, they both uh, corrected me and said, no, no, no. It means to fix, to affix, to, to fix in place. So to strike in. In other words, to like, like fix, you know, strike, take a, a flagpole and strike it into the ground, fix it in place. That's plant. Ah, oh, that made sense. So thank you for both of you. Uh, I wasn't thinking of it that way, to affix, set in place. And this little, the reason I bring this up is because this makes me realize how much we get things wrong simply because we hear a word and we come up with the wrong definition. Uh, so I just want to just wanna throw that out there for all of you to be aware of things like that. Are we coming up with a definition on our own that is not, that's not where they're going? But the word picture here is nun, teth, ayin, and one of the possible interpretations of this was see the seed in the basket. Oh, interesting. And yeah, and I thought that was kind of neat, you know, to plant. Uh, so nothing too spectacular there, but I thought it was a nice little picture. Yeah, still interesting. And then the word garden. Strong's Concordance number 1588, gone. And I thought that was kind of neat because garden kind of sounds like garden. <laughs> it just kind of sounds like someone from Boston is pronouncing it. Go into the garden. Uh, anyway, but uh, and it and it means a garden, but in parentheses it says as fenced. So it's kind of it's specifically it's not it's referring to a fenced location where there is designed plant life and and organized plant life. It's not just a wild area. It is, it is a well-defined area, a garden. And this, make me, this made me think of a description I had heard Michael Rood give one time of the Torah as a fence that protects. If you stay within the fence, you're safe. If you go outside of the fence, you open yourself up to all the evils on the outside of that fence that can't get in that want to hurt you. So, I looked at the word picture of this, and it's gimel, nun. And one of the possible interpretations, and I found this fascinating, is the pride of life. And the reason I found that fascinating is because God created this garden. And he created everything, and he looked at everything he created and said it was good. Everything he created, you know, I created the plants, it's good. I created the animals, it's good. I created man, it's good. God had pride in what he did. He's allowed. He's God. God can have pride. He deserves it. Pride goeth before the fall for man. Goes, goeth before, goes before the fall for man because we don't deserve it. 
if we have pride, we are trying to put ourselves in God's position. We're trying to claim Godhood, essentially, if we have pride in anything. We don't deserve it. God created the garden. I I saw this kind of as a mix of what happened to man in the garden. Uh, as, as essentially man's fall came from choosing his own fate instead of letting God, deciding he was better than God at what, uh, how he should live and what should happen to him. And this was another aspect of this. He stood in and said, I want to be God. And that was the real sin. So I found it interesting that this can be interpreted the pride of life. Oh, yeah, I was just thinking, we were, God put us in pleasure, but then when we sinned, we were taking out of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. selfishly, you know, there's why we continue to sin. Selfishly, we want that pleasure back. Yeah. And we're doing, we're, we're sinning as a poor imitation of the pleasure that we had while in God's pleasure. Yeah. This is this is very possibly a great oversimplification, but I believe that sin can be summed up in one word, selfishness. Yeah. And I believe it stems from us trying to put ourselves in God's place. In any decision where we say, no, I want what I want, we're saying, I'm going to be God now. Yeah. And what a poor imitation we are when we do that. Now, the last thing I got out of all of this is that the Bible says, and Yahweh Elohim planted a garden eastward in Eden. And with what we've just discussed about what these words mean, you can translate this as saying, and Yahweh Elohim fixed in place an eternal fence of protection in delightful pleasure. And I love that picture. Yeah. He wants us within his fence. He wants us within his safety. He wants to protect us. We have to stay within his fence. We have to choose to stay in place. But that is endless, delightful pleasure. In the end, as Brad gets in deeper and deeper into Revelation, we're going to see how he's going to conclude his plan for our lives. And he's going to wipe out sin, death, and the grave once and for all and bring us back to that place. But this is where Adam began. This is where mankind began. And this is where God wants to bring us back to. It starts with a garden and it ends with a garden. It starts with pleasure. It ends with pleasure. Yep. Huh. Because, as we've said before, it's not Old Testament and New Testament. It's original covenant and God making that new again. It all comes back to the beginning. You can't understand Revelation without understanding Genesis. And in Revelation, uh, you see Genesis as well. You see the beginning as he goes through Revelation. You see it happening again over and over. Uh, It's amazing how God ties everything together. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I was pretty stoked about this one. For that reason, like I said, I thought this whole, these four verses are going to take five, ten minutes and we just zip by them because I thought I had nothing. And the deeper I got into, and all of this that I came up with right here for you now is basically this last week. So I'm like, you know, what if I had a month? What if I just kept going, you know, which I'm not going to do. Sorry, I'm going to keep going. 
Uh, but if you, again, if you guys have thoughts, if you guys have ideas, if you guys have inspirations, please share them with us. We want to hear them. We know we're not perfect. We know we're missing things. I just admitted to you, I was missing a whole lot from two years ago. Coming back to it, I gained with you know, I gained so much more. If I come back to it, like Brad said, in another two years, I'll see stuff that I go, how did I miss that in the first place? That it's God's word is so amazing. <laughs> truth. Absolute truth. All right. Well, that's a good place to end it here. Uh, we're gonna continue on with Genesis 2 9, which we briefly mentioned earlier. Uh, we're gonna get to the garden. And a little bit of a tease, we're going to get to a point here that I'm going to have to break down probably into many segments, but it's the first time I really started going deep a couple years ago, and this was one of the reasons I wanted to get back into a Bible study and go deeper than I had before because of things that are about to come up. Uh, I always wondered, why in the Bible does it say things like, and this place over here was named such and such for obvious reasons. And here I am, an English speaker, going, what What obvious reasons? <laughs> right. What are you talking about? I don't, get, I don't understand what's going on. And I wanted to get into like the names of places and what they told, which we, we have done uh, earlier on, but we're getting to a point that made me go, I want to see that. that I, I'm focusing and I want to see what's going on there. So, all right, we'll get it. We'll start to get into that next time. But as always, I am Scott. And I am Brad. And this is not about us.